Hello and welcome back to the Scottish Games Network podcast. As always, we're your hosts. I'm Ryan. I'm Andrew. And today we're joined by a very special guest. I'm Eltan and Cassiani, and I'm the head of communications over at Team Junfish. Perfect. Well, I think you've just answered my first question, which is, who are you and what do you do? Uh, so we've got that out of the way. Perfect. Yeah. How's everyone doing today, first of all? Uh, I'm doing pretty well. Yeah. A little bit sleepy, a little bit fed up of lockdown, but and also currently dealing with cats. But other than that... Yeah, I saw, yes, your cat I saw, I saw the cat. Yeah. There's two of them. They're fighting. You'll see them a lot. They're running around. <laughs> That's only for us, you know. Uh, th- this is just going to be a vid- uh, an audio podcast, so it's our pleasure to see the cats. Yeah, be jealous, be jealous. But um, you-, you guys have been particularly busy this week, right? Yeah, so for the past week, we're currently going through a giant hiring wave. So we've got a lot of interviews going on constantly. And then at the same time, we've just released our big March update, which is our first up, like major update since launching in early access. Nice. So we should say that is the, just in case there's anyone listening who doesn't, who doesn't know, that's um, the update for Monstrum 2, right? Yes, it is our first big update for Monstrum 2, which launched in early access in January. So it's been, this, this is the year of Monstrum 2, essentially. For me, it's the second year of Monstrum 2, <laughs> but for everyone else, yes. <laughs> so um, how have you found the response since, since launching in January? How's it been going? Generally pretty well, yeah. There's understandably some standard complaints from it being an early access title. It's still mm. very much so in development, and that's always going to ha- come with its own challenges and teething problems. But Overall, the reception has been really positive. People that have been playing it, especially people that have been streaming it, seem to have a strong opinion of the game has a lot of potential. People are having quite a bit of fun with it. There's just features that they want to see added and we're working on them. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, I guess that's the way with, with early access. So um, you're saying just now that you're going through this kind of hiring process and expanding and stuff. What about yourself and uh, Team Junkfish? Team, team Junkfish, sorry, <laughs> Tom Twister for me and me only. Can you tell us about your history with the company and kind of how how you came to be doing what you're doing now? Yes, I can actually. That's a bit of a weird one. Um, so I was actually hired as an intern split between production and community. So when I came in, the community manager that was there prior ended up and no longer with the company. So I no longer had anybody on the community side. So very quickly, I basically fell into having to cover all of that and hit the ground running. And the production side I was involved in fell away. Within a couple of months, I got promoted just straight into community manager because I'd been hiring it entirely. And in less than a year, I ended up head of communications for the whole company. Basically, we had a lot of events and I had to take a lot of more responsibility on in a short space of time. Um, and it was a very unusual year. Thrown in at the deep end, I like it. (laughs) Very much so. It was very much a sink or swim situation and very luckily I swam. (laughs) So did you have any experience doing kind of community management stuff before? Yes, but in a more informal setting with some stuff. And when it came to now that I've taken over communications, not just community, uh, I had to have previous experience in things like PR because before Junkfish, I had informal community experience that some people don't realize counts. Like right. I used to run the biggest PVX guild on my server in Guild Wars 2 for a good couple of years. And then I also had experience with, uh, I'm a game development graduate and in all mm-hmm. of my teams, I'd managed social channels and done campaigns. I also had a backing in charity work doing social promotions and events. And then 
On top of that, I worked throughout uni part-time as a games journalist. So I had some experience and knowledge from the press and press networking site. Terrific. Yeah, okay. So you, so you have plenty of stuff to go on, essentially, then. Like a, a well-rounded... Yeah, an extensive uh, CV. Well, I've, I've think... done a lot of odd stuff. I've been quite lucky to get involved with a lot of unusual opportunities. Yeah. Well, I think obviously like the, the, the stuff with the charity and then also the stuff that you've done at uni is kind of, you know, that's the, st the stuff that you're definitely easy to talk about in a kind of application or interview situation. And I suppose applying to, you know, a games developer, you're in a good position. But I always wonder how people are kind of able to sell, you know, that kind of the soft skills you pick up, as you were saying, at like managing a guild in Guild Wars 2, right? And I think like it's so, like, these are like really like important things that you learn, but like it's trying to communicate that in a way that doesn't make you sound like just nuts. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm currently speaking to a couple of places about uh, community management hiring and what right. to look for, because over the last year, people have started to come to me for advice about getting into the industry. And I've, I've helped about four people so far get their first community mm. gig. And now companies are kind of speaking to me a little bit about um, what to look for. And one of the things that people don't get is community management and communications to an extent are very much soft skills driven. You can teach people the skill side of things. You can teach people Photoshop. You can teach people how to use Hootsuite or whatever other software or programs people need to use. Mm. You can't teach people empathy and you sure. can't teach people charisma, not as easily and not as genuinely. And those are such important skills for a forward facing aspect of the company. So generally when it comes to community roles people tend to be a lot more receptive to experience that might not seem as though it's genuine but it actually is like i've helped people that are creating their cv for these kinds of roles in the industry and yeah. they've come to me and they've been like i've been a moderator of this subreddit for six years but that's just reddit and i'm like no that's that's volunteer work you've been doing moderation for six years that's like my that's voluntary community management and i have to kind of encourage people to not doubt themselves so for people that don't know what is the day in day out of a community manager at a game studio <laughs> that depends on the game studio <laughs> but a general overview of roughly what this role entails. Quite often, it also encompasses social media management, even though that's technically a separate role. But quite often when people say community manager, they mean both. And what you will usually manage is all of the customer interaction via your socials and community building. So this can range from creating the content that is going to go on your socials like Twitter or Instagram or TikTok and posting them and then interacting with fans that are commenting and trying to get engagement up and speaking to them and seeing their input on the game, what they want to see. It can also be in the Discord and growing it and running events and fan competitions. And then the other part of it that people don't realize, because a lot of people think community management is just chatting on Discord and uh, having a fun time, which is definitely a great part of it. But a second part of it is actually cultivating that community into having the kind of culture that you want for your game because it will reflect, reflect your player base. And then taking the feedback that they've given and filtering it directly to the development team to make sure that development and production is considering the community's input and what your player base actually wants. So is there is there ways that kind of player 
I guess, concrete ways that you can point to that the kind of feedback has affected development in that way? There's a lot, actually. So one of the best examples I can give is that we currently have a focus group that is a group of, I think it's eight currently, testers that I hand-selected as mm. very trusted community members that were very active. And they have been testing our game for us since pre-open beta. They've had access to a developer-only branch and they actively engage in QA with us and filter back feedback into the game. And they have been influential in helping us fix bugs and change little aspects that we might not have considered. And then there's the fact that um, we have a community feedback channel on the Discord of major features that people want to see. And the thing about community input is that quite often what they want to see and what we want to do is very closely arranged. Right. Um, they don't know what we have planned. And so we get very excited when they suggest stuff. And it's, <laughs> it's what we already intend. We're like, oh, they're going to love it. <laughs> um, and that's just happened with our most recent update that they had feedback of what they wanted to see with user acquisition reasons. So reasons to continue playing and encouragement to stick around and come back. And we've just introduced our season tracker and seasons into the game with rewards. And this was one of the suggestions. But from those suggestions, we took ideas from uh, how they'd want to see it structured and the kind of engagement they would want when we were considering development on our side and also advancing that as a feature because it was so requested which is why it has gone in in our earliest update and that's part of making sure that the community is getting exactly what they want from us and that we're also getting to develop what we were really excited to make. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's definitely finding that balance for sure. Well, that kind of like group of uh, eight people, this kind of hand-selected group, is that like a common practice across kind of studios or is this kind of you know, something that you just, you guys thought was like, this is this is the way to go with this. It can be, especially right. more common at indie level, depending on the scale of indie. But we have them under NDA. They are brought in, signed on, and they've also had it made very clear to them that it is purely voluntary and we don't have giant restrictions. We're not expecting them to turn in at work hours. Mm -hmm. um, they're credited on our game, if you check. And basically, it's kind of a mutual area where they really want to play the game early. They're big fans. They get in to be able to see it and to help directly shape things for us. And we get some feedback from some of the most valuable people because no matter how much you QA test your game, and I mean this, no matter how much you QA test your game, your fans will find stuff you cannot imagine. They will break it in weird ways you didn't know was possible. What's, what's the most interesting way Monster has been broken? My favorite one, we had a bug at one point, but there's two of them. So one of our one of our focus testers and our longest standing moderator figured out a way, I think post beta, to break the game so you could fly. But okay. it was by constantly drop, it was the weirdest way. And it was by constantly dropping, I think, sledgehammers by first breaking the inventory so you could basically infinitely collect sledgehammers. Um, <laughs> or I, it was either that or he dropped it and picked it up repeatedly. But however he was doing it, he had sledgehammers and was dropping them and then launching himself off them repeatedly in the sky. So he could just <laughs> run around on sledgehammers. And we were like, that's not meant to happen. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the other one was more of a consistent bug, but it came from the focus group and I loved it. And it was that the character models were applying to the wrong rig, which meant right. that all of the geometry was getting smooshed. So our big standard monster of the brute at one point got put on the assigned female at birth character human rig. Uh -huh. And so he was really squat and his head was like clipped into his body. And then he was doing all her like sassy animations. And I was like, that's 
it's brilliant. We have so yeah. many memes in it. Somebody illustrated him. We have fan art of squat sexy brute. I love it. <laughs> I yeah, think I that's, love that that's the thumbnail for the, the podcast now is squat sexy <laughs> brute. Yeah, we've got that. You've done part of a job for me. <laughs> I also have fan art of the brute in a maid costume if you would like it. Absolutely, I mean, please. that'll go for the personal collection, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so so back to back to your kind of role at, at uh, Junkfish. So when did you come in? Were you uh, working on the first Monstrum as well, or are you, did you come oh, in on Monstrum too? Oh no. The first Monstrum first started development in 2013. Right. I started uni in 2014, okay. so I was very not involved. Um, they shipped the first Monstrum 2015, and then after Monstrum was finished, because they then did some adjustments to the VR, they then worked on Attack of the Earthlings, which is right. our in-between title that, that a lot of people forget about because most of our fans are horror, and it is uh, a comedy strategy game. Right. But it's actually really great and like ProZD is one of the voices on it that's really cool <laughs> um so hopefully more people can check it out i really like attack of the earthlings and then they started on monstrum 2 while they were finishing up attack of the earthlings i came in when they were part way through development they were at the point that the entire team was focused on it so i joined november 2019 but i joined pre-alpha so how is that when you join a, a team and they're already in the sort of midst of a, a project do you feel like you're sort of out of your depth and you have to sort of catch up almost doing your homework out with work or is it a bit easier and people are more accepting that you've just joined definitely not out with work any company that's worth their salt if you come in to a project part of your onboarding procedure and part of your job for the start of when you come in will be familiarizing yourself with the project so especially since i was on the production side i spent a lot of time reading basically the entire gdd which is game design document for anyone that doesn't know game terms and really familiarizing myself with everything that was going on. I would say that I was quite lucky because it was pre-alpha. It was very much so still being developed and fleshed out a lot. When I came in, a lot of it was still grey box. I wouldn't say it's harder for people that come in now because, for instance, I have a community intern that works with me and they came in about six months ago. So they came in post-alpha, post-closed beta and the game was a lot further into development by that point. They definitely have less of an insight into how things have come along because I've been there since the start and seeing it so I have a very in-depth view of the project overall but they still have a very deep knowledge of the game's current state of development and our future intentions which is all we really need them to know. Do you know I've just thought uh, we should probably ask you what is Monstrum for those that don't know because uh, I've just thought there's definitely going to be someone sitting listening to this like my dad listens to all the podcasts and he's not really too involved in games and he's probably going to be like what the hell is going on so do you want to tell us a little bit about what monstrum is i can do that so do you want me to do monstrum as a series and then monstrum 2 specifically if you don't mind that would be perfect yeah please (laughs) cool so monstrum is a series that is focused on aquatic horror so the original idea from the series came from wanting to stray from what was current in horror at that time Back in 2013, when they started developing, horror was consistently rundown hospitals, haunted houses. That was really big and trending. And they wanted to do something a bit different, which is why the Oceanic setting. And they also took inspiration from games like Binding of Isaac, which is why we went with uh, Roguelike. 
and it is a survival the first one is a survival horror game where you are one player playing against a randomized one of three monsters and you have to try and escape them but the most interesting part about the monstrum series is that monstrum is a procedural generated series so all of our games are based on constantly randomized and changing maps and environments monstrum 2 is our step away into multiplayer one of the most demanded features after monstrum 1 was a multiplayer version and as the team had never made a large-scale multiplayer, it sounded like a lot of fun and a challenge that they decided to take up. So it is a scaling asymmetric multiplayer, which basically means you can play anything from 1v1 up to 4v1 and the game will scale appropriately. And it is based on a sea fort in the middle of the ocean and you can play currently one of three monsters we will be adding more in future. And you're set in a sea fort, which has different sections of the sea fort that are randomized between each game and within those sections the puzzles that spawn and the item locations are also randomized and then you'll get one of two random escape routes as well and your object objective uh depending on if you're a prisoner or monster is either to power up the sea fort and escape without dying or if you're the monster commit mass massacres many kill <laughs> lots of death everyone's favorite pastime <laughs> it is very satisfying when you can get some really good kills not gonna lie yeah and it's 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 a i, I guess it was sort of a fortuitous well, not fortuitous but um this last year has been a very good time to be making like a multiplayer focused <laughs> game essentially yes um it's definitely come with its own challenges trying right. to for instance we've had to do all of our server development and everything while out of office and with the team collaborating online and we also have had to run all of our live events fully without being able to be in the office and mm -hmm. it's generally fine we've worked really well remotely while some people have been everybody's had their own challenges this past yeah. year some people have been struggling with being furloughed some people are struggling with looking for work we've been struggling with lots of work right. <laughs> so but we we've done well we've had four live events and launches throughout lockdown if i remember mm -hmm. correctly because our alpha closed beta open beta and launch have all been throughout lockdown so it's definitely been odd but at the same point it's been great because a lot of people have nothing to do but video game it's giving them something to do with their boredom or people that didn't have time before because they had travel like expenses and time that they were losing in their day and other responsibilities they now have that extra time so they have a bit more time to try out things they wouldn't and so we've definitely had a lot more of an engaged community because of that and also we've been able to provide them a bit of support because we have a despite what you would think being a multiplayer horror game we have a really positive wholesome community they're very welcoming sweet people i've managed to cultivate that quite strongly and i'm very proud of them all and so they've been really really lovely with trying to help out with each other during lockdown and make sure everybody's okay. We mentioned on the podcast about how this was sort of an ideal time for a game like Monstrum 2 to come out because we mentioned that if you've played games like um, Dead by Daylight or Friday the 13th it's it's a similar sort of concept where it's player, player versus player horror but those games didn't like they took off but not quite to the extent that I, I think some people thought they would and maybe that was just the timing but this is in a unique situation where yeah like you say everyone wants to be playing online because that's the only way they're socializing with their friends 
have you found that like there's been more of a pickup with that like with Monstrum with people who might not necessarily play horror titles because of the social aspect? There's definitely been a level of that, especially because we have more of a teen rating. We're not horrifically gruesome and that helps people that might have been a bit put off by the fact that it's a horror game. I will say that when it comes to lockdown, the further we get into it, generally player bases are swinging towards things that are a bit more lighthearted, even if they're multiplayer, as everyone's mental state is kind of struggling. But when it comes to the horror community, uh, action fans, multiplayer gamers, we're definitely still hitting those targets and people are engaging in those areas and showing a lot of interest. We've got our next roadmap coming up soon, which will hopefully get people excited again. And that might bring in more people that are haven't tried a game like this before. But we definitely had some people during our open beta and launch event, we had a few streamers come in that had like never played a game, anything like this before. And they were really excited about it and had a lot of fun with it. So that was great to see. Can you please tell us about the changes in this update? So we've added a few new features that have been massively requested. One of them we hope to launch with and it broke and we're really, really happy to have it back in. And that's the ability to queue with friends. So you're now able to add your Steam friends from the main menu and directly have them in your party already instead of having to use a room code, which is the system we currently had. So it's now much more accessible to play with your friends. We've added in our season system. So there's now seasonal XP progression. There's a unique tracker for each character where you unlock cosmetics and nameplates and credits. So people now have that reason to come back and play and that'll get refreshed every few months. We have added in uh, full scalable missions. So basically it means that instead of it just being based on the player count when you start the game, throughout the game, if people die, the missions also scale to be fair. So if you start the game 4v1 and by the end of the game only one prisoner is alive, the missions have scaled down so as one prisoner doesn't have to try and complete four people's <laughs> objectives. So as they have more of a chance, you know? Mm. <laughs> and then we've also added in some new graphics options like V-Sync toggle, anti-aliasing, things like that to help with performance and people's different PC specs. Yeah. On top of that, we have a whole load of new cosmetics. We have a bunch of bug fixes, item fixes, puzzle fixes, UI changes, audio changes, a load of art passes and balancing changes. So teams being hard at work. There's, there's a big document if you're interested, go on our Twitter, you can find the link. It's very okay. long, um, <laughs> but that's that's the overview. Nice. Uh, and what about the, the the roadmap going forward? What does the rest of this year look like for uh, John Christian Monster 2? Well, if you want to see that, you'll have to check out our socials next week because I'm working <laughs> on it right now. Oh, okay. a, wow. a teaser there. <laughs> Love a tease. Love a tease. So everything that's mentioned that was mentioned today will be in the show notes. So Attack of the Earthlings, the uh, the update notes, and everything else, um, as along with the socials for both Elthorin and the uh, Team Junkfish, sort of across Facebook, Twitter, all that. Uh, so yeah, thank you very much for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. And you've been listening to the Scottish Games Network podcast. As always, we've been your hosts. I've been Ryan. I've been Andrew. And I've been Elle. And we shall see you next time. <laughs>